Greetings, Earthers, Martians, Belters, members of the OPA. Welcome to episode seven of Expanse, the unofficial podcast. I'm your host, Lex Starwalker, and joining me on the show today is Nikki Starwalker. Hi there. Welcome to the show, Nikki. Thanks. So this is a pretty momentous episode for us because we are going to be discussing the first episode, the pilot episode of the TV show. Yay, it finally came out. So be warned, if you have not seen the first episode of The Expanse, the TV show, this is going to be chock full of spoils. We Spoilers. <laughs> we are going to spoil the shit out of the first episode. So if you have not seen it and you don't want to be spoiled, press stop now, come back after you've seen it, and listen to it then. This is your only warning. <laughs> yes. And there are quite a few places that you can see it now. It's up on YouTube on Sci-Fi's YouTube channel. It's also on the Expanse website on sci-fi.com. And we'll have links. And if I can, I will actually embed the video in the show notes. I don't know. Uh, it just depends how Sci-Fi set it up on YouTube, if it will let me do that or not. But if it will, I will just embed it right in the show notes. Otherwise, we'll have links at the very least to the Sci-Fi channel, YouTube, and also Space for people in Canada. I just saw online today that it's on Space's website now, so people in Canada can watch it. I know I've heard from one or two people in Germany who have said that they, they can't watch it. There's oh. some kind of uh, regional thing going on with YouTube where they aren't able to watch it. So I, I haven't heard anything confirmed anywhere of a place for sure that you can see it in Germany if you're in Germany. Um, I have heard people say that you can watch it on YouTube from Germany using a proxy. So if you know how to do that, then go for it. I don't really know how to do it to tell you how to do it. But December 14th, everybody's going to see it. Yeah. So definitely look around. It's also on Xbox, PlayStation, supposedly. I, I haven't confirmed that personally, but that's what we've been told. Uh, Hulu, Amazon... So hopefully, if you're not in the U.S. or Canada, you can find somewhere that you can watch it. And if you are in Germany and you're listening to this and you did find somewhere that you could watch it, if, if you could let us know, uh, expansepodcast at gmail.com will happily spread the word. But as of right now, I, I don't have anything confirmed for, for Germany, unfortunately. Okay. So before we get into completely spoiling the first episode and, and talking all about it, as far as announcements. I just want to quickly thank and give a shout out to Fizzle032 from the US of A who gave us a five-star review on iTunes. Fizzle032 said, a great show. Thank you for taking the time to put this together. Yay, go Fizzle. Yeah, so you are welcome. We're very happy to do it. Thank you for reviewing the show on iTunes. Really appreciate it. Fuck yeah. <laughs> well, there goes the... Uh, <laughs> PG-13 rating we were shooting for. Just kidding. So corrections and retractions. I've got nothing. You got anything, Nikki? Anybody call us on any of our bullshit in the last week? No. Yay. Maybe maybe my reread is, is paying off. Yes, I think it likely is. <laughs> well, luckily now that the show has started, well, I, I guess we have to wait a few weeks for the next episode. But now that the show has started, we can talk more about the show 
and less about the books and we'll have less retractions if only for that. But I'm still going strong on uh, Leviathan Wakes. Let's see, where am I at? I've got the book right here. I might as well tell you. I'm on chapter 12. Oh, okay. Page uh, 123. There you go. So I'm well beyond where we've gotten to in the show. Okay. All right. So that's, that's all the business. We can quit hemming and hawing around and get to the meat of this episode, which is talking about the first episode of the TV show. Nikki and I, along with a lot of you, I'm sure, watched it uh, the other night on the 23rd at 9.01, our time here in the great city of Seattle. And uh, we just got done watching it again, just to make sure it's nice and fresh in our mind for the podcast. Yep. So Nikki, let's start off with you. Uh, what'd you think of the first episode? Did it did it suck or not? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> Whatever is on the opposite side of the spectrum from suck, that's that's what it was. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, it was amazing. It totally blew my mind. I actually expected, somehow I expected less than it was. I don't know how that could have been because there was so much buildup and I was so excited about the show, but it was better than I thought it would be. It was that great. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. And it's kind of funny because we, not long before we watched it, we kind of talked a little bit and I asked you, you know, if you were worried at mm-hmm. all, because, you know, we're, we're fans of the books. Um, we were fans of the books long before it was ever announced that there was ever going to be a TV show. Mm-hmm. So we're the the genuine fans, not the... The posers. No, just, <laughs> you sound I'm, like a hipster. I'm just kidding. I'm totally. I'm just totally messing with people. If you got into the books because you heard there was going to be a show, good on you. Yeah. Good on you for reading. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I had a point. Um, what was my point? Oh, you were afraid that it might not be as good as the well, books. No, possibly. I was not. Because okay. I asked you if you were, and you said you weren't really. And I surprisingly was not at all afraid because I've seen other books I loved turn into movies or TV shows. And usually there's this kind of trepidation or dread that kind of comes over you as you're getting ready to watch it because you're like, you know, what if they totally screw this thing up that I love? <laughs> and I, I was very surprised when we talked about it to realize that I didn't feel that way at all. In fact, I was 100% confident that I was going to love the show. Wow. Which that says something. Really surprised me. I yeah. mean, I'm usually pretty critical. And we even kind of joked like what if the show sucks and and we've started this podcast <laughs> and now we don't want to do the podcast cuz we hate the show. <laughs> and I was like, you know, what do you think the chances are of that happening? And and we were both pretty confident that the chances were zero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's because, you know, we've looked into everything we could find as far as, you know, the casting and who's playing who and, you know, knowing that that Ty and Daniel are producers on the show and knowing how much sci-fi is put into this. Right. I wasn't worried. And just knowing how happy James S.A. Corey is with everything from the casting to the writing to the effects. I mean... Everything I've seen from both of them online has just been, you know, they're tickled pink with everything. So if the authors are happy, who am I 
to judge <laughs> as, as a humble reader. <laughs> right. Yeah, sci-fi really built up my confidence over time on social networks and on their website as they released information such as the, the cast. You know, when I see that cast, I have uh, certain expectations if I know their past. And I know we've reviewed uh, a few people on this podcast and yeah. I'm familiar with everyone now. So yeah. I was excited and confident that it would be really good. I have to confess, when I first heard that they were making it into a TV show, my first question, I think, was what network is it going to be on? Really hoping that the answer would be HBO yeah, <laughs> or maybe Showtime. And the answer was sci-fi. And at that moment, I was worried. <laughs> I'm like, this is the network that brought us Mansquito <laughs> and Sharknado. Oh, uh, yeah. That seems to have forgotten what sci-fi even is. But then I, you know, I started to educate myself. That was a completely ignorant opinion. And I started to educate myself. And from minute one of actually learning what was going on, I wasn't worried. <laughs> <laughs> like many things, it's hard to be scared of something if you learn a lot about it. <laughs> yes. Education is the enemy of fear. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so so what'd you think of episode one, Nikki? Oh, it was excellent. The special effects surprised me. They were so above and beyond what I expected. We spent a lot of time in space and yep. not just in the spaceships, but actually floating in space, looking at ships and watching effects from the outside. And I feel like that's a very costly thing to do on television to, to have all those scenes. And so that was unexpected and really awesome. You know, it's funny that you bring that up because I, I didn't actually think about that, but you're right. We, we spend a lot of time looking at the Canterbury, looking at the night, looking at the Scopuli. And I didn't even realize it until you said it, how much of that time we spent, because every time there was something happening, they didn't mm -hmm. make the mistake of Star Trek, the motion picture of we're going to spend 10 minutes panning around the Canterbury as it cruises through space and nothing is happening. And we're going to play this swelling, <laughs> majestic music. And, and, you know, back in whenever Star Trek, the motion picture was made, I mean, maybe that went over well. I really don't know. I mean, that was before my time, but it didn't age well. Like watching that movie now, it's like, oh my God, will you have something happen? Yes, the Enterprise is beautiful. We get it. <laughs> we got it in the first 30 seconds. We didn't need 10 minutes. Um, and yeah, they showed us that. And I think the big kind of star of the show as far as the, the effects was the Canterbury for me. Oh, yeah. And just showing the size and mass of that ship. But yet they, I don't know, they spent the perfect amount of time, I felt like. Right. It was enough to really like impress on you like what a marvel of engineering this thing was, but not a second pass at, not anywhere near to the point where you're starting to be like, okay, I'm ready for something else. Yeah, you were never bored. No, no, not at all. And uh, I, I feel like, I, I don't want to do it, but I feel like I got to skip to the best part. For oh, me. you're going to say it? I was wondering who would say it. All right. So I told Nikki before the show, I was like, you know, we should talk about some of our favorite moments. And for me, not only was this my favorite moment in the episode, I think this is my favorite moment in sci-fi ever. And I originally online, I said, this was my favorite moment in sci-fi television. I'm including movies now. 
anything. Wow. The Canterbury Flip and Burn. Yeah, Flip and Burn. Fucking epic. (laughs) That word gets thrown around a lot, but this is a time when it's adequate. I think I had like palpitations. (laughs) I'm pretty sure the first time I saw that, either my heart actually stopped for a few seconds or it skipped a couple beats. I'm not sure what happened, but something was going on in my chest that um, was not normal. Yes. I just sat there amazed at the effects. It was so exciting and so thrilling when they actually did the maneuver. And on Sci-Fi's website, they actually have a definition of it because I just wanted to read a little bit more about it. And so they're flipping so they could go in the other direction and accelerate. And when they accelerate, it creates gravity. Just a quick summary. Yep. Okay. And it was just riveting. I couldn't believe how good it looked. It was so exciting. That scene definitely gave me chills. If I have one criticism of this episode, and it's a small one, my small criticism is... We have this scene with the flip and burn, and, and, and it's like you say, they're moving in a certain direction. They get this distress call from the Scopuli. They finally decide that, you know, we need to go check this out. And so they have to kill all this momentum that they have heading towards Ceres in order to go check out this little ship parked by this asteroid. And so they flip the ship around and burn, you know, in the op, well, I guess we don't really know. It probably wasn't the exact opposite direction because they had to change their vector too. But they're burning basically in the opposite direction to slow down, right? Right. And we have the, this beautiful scene where everybody's strapping in and they're hitting the juice, which is this cocktail of drugs that allow you to withstand the high G-forces of this burn. And we have the, these beautiful special effects. For me, it was the high point of the whole episode. That was the moment that really hooked me. Like in writing, you know, you talk about the hook, you know, the thing that just like grabs you and like now you're invested in this story and you're going to see it through. That was it for me. I was like, I want to see more of this shit. Like (laughs) as awesome as this is, I can't wait to see the Nauvoo now. Oh my God. Oh yeah. You know, or the million other things in the series that are just going to be amazing visual effects. But the one, my one criticism is we see this happen, we see, you know, the burn happen, we see everybody like, oh, in their seats. And then we cut to the next scene and they're at the scopuli, they're, you know, at zero G again, the burn is over. And what you don't realize if you only watch a show and you didn't read the books, that burn was two days long. I just looked it up, two days. Wow. They were on the, ju- you know, like that yeah. for, for two days. Oh. And I just wish they would have, like, the next scene had the little text that says two days later or something, you (laughs) know. And I'm sure later at some other point with some other high G burn, they'll let us know that, oh, you know, they're like this for, it's not like a few seconds. It's days, hours, you know, that they're they're like this and they can't move. Yeah. (laughs) Because the the G-forces are so high. I feel like that would have added something even more to that. If everybody, I mean, I realized it. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe they're enduring this for this long. But I, I think, you know, the TV audience, there's no way that they could know that it was that it was two days. Yeah, just to play devil's advocate, I think that it might have slowed down the pacing potentially just because then you ponder, well, what happened during those two days? And you kind of have to sure. show somehow that they 
couldn't move. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and and I'm sure that there's very good reasons, you know, that they chose to do it that way. Mm-hmm. But as someone that read the books, I'm just like, oh, I wish everybody could realize that this was going on for two days. Right. And because it, it, if you don't know anything else, just looking at what is in the show, you could easily think, oh, that burn was like 30 seconds long or something. Like what mm-hmm. we saw, that's all there was. You know, and, and that's something I think that trips people up a lot with TV and movies. And it's something as like a viewer that you have to always keep in mind that you aren't seeing everything that happens. And when there's a cut, you don't really know unless they tell you how much time transpired from one cut to the another. And sometimes I've seen with other shows or movies or whatever, confusion in people because people tend to assume that what they see is all there is. Mm-hmm. Or that, you know, they saw the whole scene and it's like, well, no, there may have been more after the cut that you didn't see that happened. Right. So, so you got to keep that in mind. Right. Life keeps moving. That's right. <laughs> well, if I may jump in, the second scene that gave me chills was when Julie walks into the engineering bay. Okay. And sees what she sees. And yes. I won't go into detail but, I mean, it's hard to explain without talking about the book. Right. But it is so cool, and she screams, and it just, like, I shivered. It was a wonderful scene. Well, I think we can maybe describe it a little better because you may not be sure what you were seeing. Mm-hmm. So you were seeing the, the engine core, which is a, a fusion reactor of some kind, and there's, like, this mass of something you don't know what around it and coming out of that is part of a person who seems to be in agony and there's something really weird going on with this person i mean first of all they're part of this whatever it is and second of all there's like like you see their hand flailing out and there's like these things coming out of their hand Mm -hmm. yeah so there's something really bizarre going on and if you're like whoa that's fucked up what's up with that you weren't imagining things that was fucked up <laughs> and we will find out later what was up with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was, I was at, that was the point for me in the show where I said, I'm committed and I'm glued to the show <laughs> Yeah, and I can't wait to see more. All right. You're right. Okay. So I said the flip and burn was a moment that hooked me. That was like the emotional high for me for the show. I mean, I was hooked from, I was hooked by the title sequence, honestly. Oh, you liked it. Yeah, it's funny because they released that earlier mm-hmm. and we watched it and I was kind of like, that's eh, okay. I, I mean, I don't have anything bad to say about it. It's fine. Right. But it wasn't like, oh my God, that was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. But seeing it as part of the show, even it's the exact same thing. And at that point we hadn't seen anything else. So it shouldn't be any different, right? But I, I don't know, I guess psychologically it's different watching it as just like, here's this thing I'm watching as opposed to this is introducing me to this new show I'm going to watch. And I felt like the title, it totally grabbed me. The, the one image from it that, that really sticks out in my mind is when we see Jupiter. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Jupiter is beautiful, yeah. right? I oh, mean, yeah. I don't know, maybe I'm weird. I think Jupiter is beautiful. I, I think it's one of the most beautiful things in our solar system. And to see it like just huge on the screen, it, it just, I, I don't know, something, it, something about that title sequence, it shows you the scope of the story, even before you know anything about it. Because we're seeing Jupiter, we're seeing Saturn, we're seeing Earth, mm-hmm. you know, and these are all places that the story goes. 
And it also, I, I feel like it shows how small we are. Right. Even the Canterbury in all its glory, its massive behemoth glory compared to Jupiter is like not even a drop of spit in a bucket. You know, <laughs> it's nothing. There's a phrase for you. <laughs> My favorite scene from the intro was the people walking on Mars. Yeah, that you was cool. You felt like maybe it was one of the first times that humans are on Mars. Yeah. And that was pretty neat. All right. So I feel like I keep... Uh, sidetracking you. What what else did you like about the show, Nikki? I know you got a whole bunch of notes over there. What else you got? (laughs) Well, Miller's one of the first characters that we're introduced to. Yes. I was surprised that he wasn't as likable as he is in the book. And it's a good thing. I don't think his character should be immediately somebody that you can connect with. He needs to be a little bit more mysterious, a little bit more complex. Um, And I loved the scene where he's sitting in the office with his boss and he's wiping blood off his shoe. It just kind of says so much. (laughs) Yeah. A, that there's so much violence on uh, series. Yeah. And B, that he just kind of walks in it all the time and it's just kind of an afterthought, just wiping the blood off the shoe. Speaking of of series, we'll have a link in the show notes, but on Sci-Fi's website... They have an interactive map of the solar system, and it's it's really cool, and I think it's going to be very valuable to you as you watch this show going forward because you can see the solar system, and you can kind of see where everything is in relation to each other, and then you can zoom in on things. So you can zoom in on series, and it tells you about series. It shows you close up what it looks like. You can move around it and stuff, and then around that, it will have characters that are associated with that place. So I think that's where you can find out more about Miller and stuff. And and so you can explore Mars and Earth and I think Ida or maybe not Ida because I, I just saw something about an asteroid today on from NASA. I might be thinking of that. But but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> all all the major places that are that are settings in in the story, you can kind of explore and learn more about them and just kind of see where they are. And relationship. And I think that's really important. You know, in uh, epic fantasy, you know, we often talk about like the importance of the map. Right. You know, so like Lord of the Rings, you know, if you're reading uh, The Fellowship of the Ring at the very beginning of the book, there's a map and you can kind of, as you go through the story, you can track their progress across the map. And Mm -hmm. I think with something like this, it's just as important because, you know, some of us, maybe like me and be total astronomy nerds and and we know what Ceres is and we know what Europa is and all this stuff, but, mm-hmm. but not everybody does or even, or you may have kind of a vague sense of what it is, but you don't really know where it is in relation to everything else in the solar system. And, and it's just visually, it's very impressive and beautiful and, and cool. James S.A. Corey, of course, had to point out on Twitter that in the actual expanse, the asteroid belt is not nearly as cluttered as it looks like on <laughs> the the visual depiction on the website. Oh, so, okay. Well, it's, you know, it's at a really small scale. So Right. I just was surprised because he pointed that out. That's kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so speaking of that, uh, a couple things before we get into more of what Nikki liked about the show. <laughs> We've discussed quite a bit on this show in past episodes about how wondering how the belters would be portrayed. Oh yeah. And Ty Frank wrote a really good article like months ago 
about this that Nikki just found like the other day mm-hmm. that explains exactly what they're going to do with that and what the reasoning is. And in a nutshell, we will see some belters that are as described in the book. And in, in, in the first episode, we see one in the belter that's being tortured by just being subjected to earth gravity, which was a really cool scene. Yeah. But not all the belters are going to look like that. And the simplest reason why is because if they limited their casting for belters to people that were, say, 6'2", it's actually a very, very small percentage of actors. Especially for women. Yes, yes. And, you know, kind of kind of what we've said on the show before, that, you know, when you're casting, there's a lot of variables to consider. There's a lot of things you, you want to think about. And acting chops and... Uh, what's the word? Um, synergy, not synergy. Uh, Presence. The the way the actors interact, chemistry, chemistry, chemistry among the actors is way more important than how tall they are. Yes. Or even what ethnicity they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so we will have that article linked in the show notes as well because he he explains it really well. This was a decision that they made way early in the production of the show, and I I I mean. Like, who gives a fuck what I think? But personally, I think they made the right decision. And and I completely agree with the reasoning. And I think it was a really smart move. So so they are going to, you know, convey that, you know, by having some belters that are like that, like the one that we saw in the first episode. But kind of like we discussed on the show, they're also going to do it through dress and language and things like that. And Something I noticed watching the first episode again tonight was that they kind of, through the dialogue of the show, they tell you that, well, not all the belters are like that. Right. Which I think actually makes sense because that's kind of how evolution works. I mean, this is only a few hundred years in the future. You know, from an evolutionary standpoint, it's not nearly enough time for all the belters to look different. Right. I mean, that would take millions of years, not hundreds. So I, I think it was a smart move for, for a lot of reasons. Do you have anything to say about that, Nikki? No, I agree with you. And I think that the show has to be taken on its own terms. Yes. I know we talk a lot about comparing it to the book, and that's just because we're fans of the book. But I go in thinking, okay, this is its own being, and it's separate from the books. It might be different. And they are doing that, like you said, for many, many reasons, including real world reasons. <laughs> and all of them good reasons. Yes. So if you want to know more about that, definitely check out that article because I think he explains it really well. I just wish we would have found that a long time ago because we've been talking about it on the show and the answer has been out there all along and we just didn't know it. Yep. So, yeah, you know, if, if you're listening to this and, and you hear us making asses of ourselves, you know, let us know. If you know something we don't know, feel free to let us know. Expansepodcast at gmail.com. We don't like looking like asses. Yeah, or like idiots or morons or, or insert your favorite adjective here. Um, oh, God, I, don't I guess those are them. nouns. Never mind. My grasp of the English language is fading by the minute. Another thing that I saw someone ask on Twitter that was answered by James S.A. Corey, one, one of them, I don't remember exactly which Twitter account it was, uh, someone was asking about how in the first episode we get our first exposure to the Belter lingo. And there's the scene where Miller and Havelock are questioning the prostitute, which mm-hmm. you might not have even realized she was a prostitute. 
And you really don't know anything that's said. And the person on Twitter was basically asking, you know, is there going to be subtitles or anything when the belters talk? And the answer was no. Anytime what's being said is really important for you as the viewer to know or understand, it will be presented in a way that that you can figure it out. For instance, in that scene that you're talking about, Miller's partner, Havelock, who's played by Jay Hernandez on the show, he asks Miller what was said, I believe. Right. And and actually, that scene is exactly as it was in the book. And when you're reading it in the book, you're pretty much as clueless as you were on the show as to what was being said. I mean, a little bit less because you can kind of unpack it a little bit more because you can sit there and stare at it. But basically, what they said is you know, sometimes the point is to make the viewer feel like an outsider. And if you think about that scene, what was happening is we're kind of getting a look at what Havelock is going through. Mm -hmm. And for a moment, it's like we're him and we're just as confused about what's going on as he is. And that was done intentionally to kind of convey what he's going through. And I, I think it was very artfully done. So if you're a little mystified by that, you were supposed to be. And you weren't supposed to really understand exactly what was being said, just the gist, which you probably did through body language. So don't, you know, don't stress about that when (laughs) when that stuff happens. It's as intended. Yep. And I'm sure there are places you can go online where someone has figured out exactly what was said and exactly what it all means, because I'm pretty sure there's an internal consistency in the belter. I mean, I never... In the books, I, I never broke it down enough myself to like decode it, but I could tell that there's consistency. You know, like those words mean something to James S.A. Corey. It's not just gibberish. So I'm sure somebody out there has decoded it and figured out what it all means. And uh, if you find that, let me know. I'd love to check it out, but <laughs> I haven't looked myself. So um, I guess I'll talk about some things I really liked. Please do. Uh, so I, I took some notes the second time we watched just so that, um, I could remember, I already talked about the flip and burn. I had, I had to jump to that because that was, (laughs) that won the prize for me. Um, definitely another thing. Um, and a lot of this is effects, like the visual effects are just amazing. Yeah. Series, very beginning of the episode series blew my mind. It was amazing. I love the fake sky how they pulled that off. That was one of the many things that, you know, waiting for the show, I, when I, especially when I was rereading Leviathan Wakes and it was describing how it has this fake blue sky that's supposed to look like Earth. Right. I, actually, that part in the book, we're in, we're in Miller's head. And like Miller doesn't know if that's really this color of Earth sky or not. And, you know, he's thinking that Havelock had told him that, that it was the right color. But, you know, he had to take his word for it because he's never seen Earth sky before. Yeah. Um, so I was curious, you know, how or if they would pull that off. And mm-hmm. it was it was awesome. And it was really cool how they showed the stark difference between that part of the station that's the more kind of upper class part versus like the docks where a lot of the belters were, where it was very dingy and dirty and grimy and and all of that. That yeah. was that was super cool. I got to say, and, and I think Nikki might be able to help me out here, I was very surprised and very excited and happy 
to see an actor I really like in the show that I did not know was going to be in the show. I just know him as Death from Supernatural. Do you know his name? Yes, it's Julian Richings. I love this man. Yes, he... I. I get so excited. I know I've said that word five times now, (laughs) but I do. I think he's an excellent actor and the characters that he portrays are always interesting. Yes. And in this, he plays the gentleman who's responsible for keeping the air clean. In In a certain area. Okay. In a certain area. Okay. And I don't think we got the name of his character. I don't think so. Okay. But you see kind of how Miller lays down the law there in the way that he treats this character. Yeah, and that was really interesting. And I guess this is something me me and Nikki need to discuss at some point. But I'm thinking as this show goes forward, we'll probably talk less and less about the books because more and more of you are going to be more interested in the show and maybe never read the books. And, and, you know, hearing us go on about the books could get tiresome if you haven't read them. Mm -hmm. But this is interesting because, and I would have never known this if I hadn't just started rereading Leviathan Wakes, But that whole scene is actually mentioned in the book, but it happens, quote, off camera in the book. Miller is just thinking about it. And in the book, at least, he doesn't indicate that he was involved in that. And actually, in the book, that guy was spaced. They spaced him in the book. Okay. Um, So basically, he was in charge of maintaining the air filters in a certain area of, of series. And he was, you know cutting costs or whatever, and he he wasn't changing them or cleaning them or whatever he was supposed to do. And it led to some problems. And belters take their air very seriously. They take that kind of shit really seriously. And in the book, he got spaced for it, which means they in the scene, they put him in the airlock or Miller puts him in the airlock and starts decompressing it to like freak him out. But then he lets him out. Well, in the book, they spaced like they opened the outer airlock and let him go off into space and die. Right. Now, Miller doesn't say that he was at all involved with that. Yeah. So I'm really curious because I know there's quite a few novellas and short stories out and, and we haven't read them all yet. And I'm really curious if one of those maybe involves that and we find out in the short story that Miller really was involved or if that's something that they changed or added for the show, or if maybe James S.A. Corey always knew that Miller was involved, but had never divulged that in print before <laughs> now. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That would be cool. But I, I thought it was really cool that we got to see that. And I guess I'm, I'm going a little out of order, but another thing I really thought was cool, basically in a nutshell, I'm amazed how true it was to the book, almost scene per, to scene to scene. And the dialogue So much of the dialogue was word for word exactly the same as in the book. And again, I wouldn't know this if I hadn't just read it like a week ago, but word for word, so much of it was the same, which I think is is a huge uh, kudos to James S.A. Corey's dialogue writing that uh, it survived translation into a a new medium, like word for word. Yeah, that's amazing. And and I think supports the theory that that I've heard some people say that James S.A. Corey maybe wrote this from the beginning if not with the intention of trying to see it in a visual medium, at least trying to think that way. Yes. When I read it, that's how I felt um, from the very beginning, the first book. It read like I was watching a movie or watching a TV show. And I, I think that was really smart, even if it wasn't a thing of, oh, we want to see this on the big screen one day just to write that way, because that's what we're all used to now. 
Mm-hmm. But most of us now in this day and age are are much more familiar with movies and TV shows than we are with books. And so I, I think in the future, we're going to see more and more books written in that way because it, it's just what we're used to. It's the way we're used to consuming our media. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's exactly the same, but they did make some changes. And every change I saw, to me at least, it was immediately apparent why they did it that way. And it was always like a really good move. So one of those changes is we see, I, I think it's one of the first scenes or the first scene in the show, we see one of the workers on the Canterbury lose his arm to a big chunk of ice. Right. In the book, that happened, quote unquote, off camera. We see the aftermath, the, the scene where Shed is you know, evaluating him for his new arm. Uh, that scene was in the book, but it actually doesn't show you know, the accident happening. But in the TV show, we see the accident happen and it was brilliant. And it was so, it was so smart to do it that way because right away it conveys like, this is dangerous stuff these guys are doing. Like the slightest thing goes wrong and you're dead or worse. (laughs) And again, I think it's unusual because a lot of times when I see a book converted to the screen, they are taking out scenes like that. Right. Scenes that would require special effects and require a lot of uh, interesting camera work. And it was a very effective scene because they're playing this upbeat music that felt kind of world music-ish, which was yeah. very appropriate for the show. And then all of a sudden this tragedy, potential tragedy happens. And then the next scene when you see him getting checked out by shed you learn okay he's going to get a new arm and he in the scene he wants an arm made by belters which also says a lot about the world so you do learn a lot about things just from this one incident yep yeah so so there there are a few things like that 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 they changed Again, I'm, I'm not going to really go into that because if you've read the books, then you know what they changed and, and you can probably figure out why just as well as I could. And if you didn't read the books, you don't care. So <laughs> so we'll move on. Uh, another thing, I guess, while I'm so on this topic that surprised me a little, I guess, is I don't want to say the pacing because the pacing was perfect, but the speed with which they are moving through the story. I wanted to actually check, and I, I forgot to check. I wanted to see how many chapters of the book they actually covered in the first episode. Without checking, I'm guessing maybe four, like okay. two Holden and two Miller chapters, it, it seemed like. And, and they, they even did the cuts about the same, it seemed like, from one to the other. Okay. But I actually, I think if, if you would have asked me, I would have expected them to be moving through the story more quickly. I would have expected more to have happened in the first episode than what happened. I didn't look, you know, I, at this point, I really don't have a feel of, are we going to get through the first book in the first 10 episodes in the first season or not? Like, I have no idea at this point. But just from experiencing the story, I really like that they're kind of taking their time with it, at least here in the beginning. You know, they didn't power through, you know, let's get through the first third of the book in the first episode or, you know, they're really taking their time. They're, they're letting us get to know the characters and they're really letting the tension build, which I think is, is super smart. And, and I'm, I'm not going to say it on the show because I don't want to spoil anything, but, but I've theorized to Nikki where I think the first season will end because I, I think it's a safe guess that it will end on a cliffhanger. 
And I think I know which cliffhanger it's going to end on. Okay. <laughs> so we'll see. Okay. Do you have any other favorite moments that you want to talk about? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got more. They're just little things, like little details that I, I think are really cool. Like I love the crack on the screen of Miller's PDA. Yes, that was great. Which I don't remember ever in the book them saying that there was a crack. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. It doesn't matter. But it just like it further characterizes him. Right. Uh, this kind of down and out detective. He, he, he's got this beat up PDA with a crack on the screen. And, you know, for whatever reason, he can't or won't get a new one. Yeah. Or just hasn't gotten around to it, which is probably the case. Right. One of my favorite moments and I just got to say, because I'm probably not going to remember or have time to mention everyone. And I feel really bad about that because I, I just want to say, I think every actor nailed it. Every single one just nailed. Like I, I could not have wished for better performances from anybody, even like supporting characters like the woman that plays the comm officer on the Canterbury. I don't even remember her name. Yeah. I mean, she was great. Yeah. I was like, man, I, w I wish we could see more of her because she she was great. But Alex Kamal's entrance into <laughs> the show was brilliant and perfect <laughs> and just captured him immediately. And Cass Anvar's performance was just just awesome. You know, he he comes down and he's doing the whole, you know, please lock your trays in the upright position <laughs> and just being this boisterous ebullient, you know, person that he is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the books, at least at this point in the story, they don't know each other super well. And he kind of annoys Holden a little bit because he's, he talks too much. That's what Holden says. <laughs> and, and like, they really, like, they really showed that in just like a few moments, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I just loved him the whole episode. I loved Alex slash Cass. It was great. I love Naomi. You know, I've said before, she's one of my favorite characters and Dominique Tipper, man, she, she nailed it. Um, every one of those actors, like now I'm reading Leviathan Wakes, like it's like you said, Nikki, like they are that character now. Like yeah. Dominique Tipper is Naomi. Like now every time I think Naomi and I'm reading the book, I'm going to be picturing her. I'm going to be picturing, you know, Wes Chatham as, uh, as Amos and Stephen Strait as Holden. Like it just, it was great. It was awesome. Yeah. Definitely. I just to, to give a little shout out further to Naomi. Um, I really like Dominique's delivery on her lines. She had some lines that were straight from the book. Yep. Yeah, she did. Yeah, it was just perfect. Yep. Yeah. Another part I noticed that I thought was pretty cool and is kind of, again, showing us some characters and, and I think in a way foreshadowing things to come is you notice that Holden tells Naomi that he was the one that logged a distress call. And she's like, I wouldn't tell other people that. And you could tell she was pissed. Yeah. Like she was not happy about it. But I think it's very telling that she's the one he told. And I, I thought that was cool. And that's, to me, that's foreshadowing because, you know, and, and we talked about, I think when we talked about Naomi Nagata, when we talked about Dominique Tipper on a previous episode, how, you know, he really confides in her and she's kind of, when he's not sure what to do, she's the one that he goes to. And, and we see the very beginnings of that in this episode, which I thought was really cool. That is cool. I kind of saw that scene and thought that he was just trying to get his girlfriend out of trouble because she was accusing his girlfriend at first. Yeah. But I mean, he could have done that without saying that he was the one that did it. True. 
Yeah. So I think it says a lot that he told her. So we'll see as things develop further. <laughs> so one thing I'm curious about, you know, they, they added a couple characters like the, the XO of the Canterbury played by Jonathan Banks was not in the book. Um, in fact, in the beginning of the book, Holden is the XO. So that was kind of cool that we got to see his transition to XO. Yeah. I have to admit, I'm kind of mystified by that whole scene. Like, other than, hey, wouldn't it be cool to have Jonathan Banks in for a scene? Like, what was the purpose <laughs> of that whole scene? <laughs> other than, I guess, maybe just to show that uh, it's very psychologically trying what they're doing and some people just crack. Yeah, that's what I got out of it. And you got the distinct feeling like the Exo missed earth and plants and growing things. Right, because he had his feet in the dirt. Right, and pl- he was surrounded by plants. And he also had charcoal drawings all over his room. The Exo is an artist. <laughs> well. <laughs> well, <laughs> arguable. But uh, yeah, it was really kind of a cool scene. Something that they that they added, an, another character that I think they added, I don't know, maybe she was in the book, I, I don't know, is the woman who seems to be working for Star Helix that uh, Miller interacts with a few times. Seems like she's like an old flame of his, like ex-girlfriend. Pretty sure she's not his ex-wife, unless they're really changing things from the book. But I don't remember her from the book at all. So I'm curious, like, I, I don't know that we got a name. Did we? No, I don't believe we did, but I did look it up on IMDb. And if I am matching the uh, photograph to the character in the show, the character's name is Octavia Muse. Okay. According to the Wikia, um, she is in Leviathan. So you might get to her eventually. Maybe you're not Hmm. there yet, but she works with Miller. Okay. Well, um, I'm reading it, so if she's in there, I'll, I'll find her. Okay. <laughs> she, she's not in the first uh, 11 chapters, at least. Okay. Which, it, you know, is far beyond where we are in the story now. So um, it, it could be that she, she had like a little bit part in the, in the book and they, they did more with her for the show. That could be. Yeah, there are a lot of characters to keep track of in the book. Yeah. Another thing I, I really liked, and again, this is a visual effect thing, but I really liked the low G Sparrow on series. And that's something I actually wondered about reading it in the book. I was like, are they going to do this on the show? Are they even going to try? Mm-hmm. And if they try, are they going to be able to pull it off? Because I mean, just reading it in the book, thinking a Sparrow in low G that's able to basically hover like a hummingbird almost just because it's low G, how, how would you even show that visually and, and would it even look plausible, you know? And they did it and they nailed it. I mean, it looked so perfect. Like, it looked real. Like, I totally bought it. And, and I think, I mean, I don't know because I read the book, but I think even if you didn't, you would have realized, oh, the bird is doing that because the gravity is lower. I, I think, I don't know. If you watched the show and you haven't read the books, let me know. Spanspodcast at gmail.com. Did you did you understand when you saw that that it was low G and that's why the bird was flying like that? Because I, I think maybe maybe you would. I don't know. It, it was cool. I, I really digged it. That was so awesome. And and it's something like they could have just skipped it, right? I mean, it yeah. didn't really matter. You know, they could have just been like, oh, that's too hard. We're not gonna do it. Or, you know, it does it doesn't really matter to the story. We're not gonna do or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and they did it and they nailed it. It looked great. It was awesome. Yeah. 
It was really nice. Loved it. I think it probably gave them a chance to address some more of Miller's characteristics because he started talking about the kid that was holding the bird. Yeah. Do we want to talk about that? You, you mentioned you thought you wanted to talk about it. We don't have to. It's up to you. Do you want? I think you want to talk about it. Why don't you talk about it? <laughs> I thought that you had an interesting comment to make on it, and I agree with you that they're trying to make Miller somebody that you can connect with a little bit more because he comments on having kids, and he says something like, oh, I missed the boat on that. Right, which was one of the lines they changed. Okay. Um, because, yeah, that scene... In the book, that he was on a, a subway tube when it happened, but he, he sees the guy with the little girl and he's like, cute kid or whatever. You know, how old is she? And the guy says, two and a half years. And he's like, do you have any kids? And in the show, he says, no, I miss that boat or whatever. In the book, he makes a joke about, no, but I have a divorce that's about that age. <laughs> and they kind of have this laugh, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, in the book, there's no whisper of him giving two shits about kids or wanting kids or anything. But, but in the show, they're obviously trying to get us to think that, you know, he wants a family and he can't have one and blah, 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 blah. And yeah, I think, you know, that's, they're they're trying to make him more uh, sympathetic to, you know, the majority of Americans out there with the 2.5 kids and the dog and the picket fence and all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I have to agree (laughs) with you. Yeah. So and it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to have kids. <laughs> I just hope they don't sissify him too much because it's like, really? He's going to be crying in his beer because he doesn't have kids. Like, who does that? <laughs> Who's like, I'm so sad I don't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> there are many that really want them, but I'm not one of them, so I can't speculate. No, nope. I'm very happy with my life decisions. <laughs> 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 Probably wouldn't be doing this podcast if we had kids. Right. There's no freaking way. I was just listening to a podcast today where they had to go out and walk around their neighborhood because they couldn't get their infant or whatever to be quiet enough to do a podcast. So they're like walking down this sidewalk, like talking into a portable recorder. Yeah. Definitely not ideal. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Nikki, what else you got? Anything else in particular that you really liked? Anything you didn't like? Anything? Um, I just, my last comment would be about Avasarala. Yeah. Her character was spot on what I pictured in the novels. And I love how at first they make her look like a hard ass who's going to yell at her grandson, I'm guessing. And she ends up like tickling him and just shows that she's a great grandmother and she is a hard ass, so don't be fooled. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But you think she's going to yell at the kid and she doesn't. And it was just kind of a a cool thing. And her outfit was wonderful. She was wearing gold and green and orange and she looked great. Her poor ears, though. Yeah, I did Those feel a little sorry look, for look her painful. Ears. I was like, man, she's going to be happy when she gets in low G. <laughs> <laughs> Those earrings will be like a third their weight. So <laughs> it'll be a little easier. Um, yeah, no potty mouth, though. No. Which, I mean, there there can't be. I mean, it's, it's sci-fi. It's what, PG-13 at best? Mm-hmm. So that'll be interesting to see, you know, how they handle that. Because that, that's a pretty big part of her character. But I mean, it's kind of like, you know, like we, we were talking before about Amos and how, you know, you don't have to be seven feet tall to be intimidating. You know, you don't have to drop F-bombs left and right to be coarse or to shock people. But I'm, I'm just, 
I don't know, because it, it wasn't just that she swore a lot. It was that she was very vulgar. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, you can get by without using swear words or without using the certain ones that we've decided are worse than the other. Oh, it's so fucking stupid. Words are words, people. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but you can't be vulgar. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like you just can't. Yeah. She can't do it. Like, or, or if she is, it's, it's like, you know, grade school vulgarity. Well, actually, no, grade schoolers are more vulgar than what you can be on sci-fi. So. Yeah. <laughs> or at least I was when I was in grade school, and I'm sure it's even worse now. So <laughs> that was a long time ago. <laughs> That that was before they they spun up series to a third G or whatever it is. <laughs> Nikki's looking at me mystified. <laughs> you know it's a bad joke and people don't even get it. All right, <laughs> someone out there laughed, hopefully, and they're just as much of a nerd as I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right, nerd. <laughs> nerd. Do you have any last thoughts on the show? You know what i I meant to write down something critical. Mm-hmm. because I don't want to sound like I'm just a fanboy gushing about how perfect everything is, uh, but I forgot to write anything. Um, <laughs> on, honestly, about the most critical thing I could say is I feel like the the little intro at the beginning that you have to read was a little long, mm-hmm. but it kind of had to be. Yeah, it had to be there. I think if they could have had James Earl Jones read it to us. <laughs> that would have made it better for helped. you? Okay. Or it could it could have been. I mean, they could have had a Vasarala read it to us. Sure. They have some people with some some good voices on that show. Oh yeah. And and it's funny because if you go on Sci-Fi's website, they have that same thing, and they have someone reading it. So if you don't want to read that, if you want someone to read it to you, you can go on Sci-Fi's website, and it's called like Future History. Okay. I think, and it goes into more detail, and it has some visuals, and it sh- it's actually like you should definitely check that out. I'll link that too. That's really cool. I, I wonder if they'll do that. Th- that's probably a first episode thing only, don't you yeah. think? Yeah, I would guess that. But I mean, it's like in a perfect world that would have been shorter. But if they would have shor- already, like I saw someone uh, someone on Twitter that, that watched it on my recommendation said that they have a lot of questions because I don't think they read the books. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, if they if they hadn't done that, people would have even more questions. Like, oh, yeah. And the main one would be, what the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh, that reminds me. The very beginning. So I guess actually now that I think about it. So the first scene was on series, right? Yeah. And so that first scene, they have the OPA guy. I assume he's OPA. I guess we don't know for sure. But some belter is like giving a speech, like riling up the belters about the injustices that they're suffering at the hands of of Mars and Earth. And that's kind of the narration that you're hearing at the very beginning as they're showing you series. And I thought that was very artfully done because that was quite a bit of exposition right there, kind of explaining to us what's going on Mm -hmm. and done in a way that was very inobtrusive and fit. And you're not sitting there being like, oh, God, they're just going to like exposit to me for (laughs) 10 minutes. (laughs) Expose me? No, wait. You know what I'm trying to say. It felt like everything (laughs) in the show had a purpose. Every scene except for Holden and the match. <laughs> I don't know if we want to get into that, though. Yeah, that's funny. Because um, we both, when we watched that, we were like, what? Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure that wasn't in the book. And we we're like, what on earth is he doing? And um, someone on our Google Plus group was like, asked, like, what's up with that? Does anybody know what's up with that? So my first thought was, well, maybe there's something in a match head that would make 
coffee tastes better. And I'm pretty sure, you know, there's sulfur mm-hmm. in Match Head. So I actually Googled and I actually found uh, on Mythbuster site a little article. I think it was by Adam Savage about they, they were doing something with matches, but found out that a Match Head, the active ingredients are sulfur, uh, potassium chlorate, and phosphate or something. Okay. Anyway, um, and then I, I looked and found out that sulfur is in coffee. It, it's in quite a few dietary things, but it's in co- there's sulfur in coffee. Mm-hmm. So I actually tweeted at James S.A. Corey and was like, what's the deal with this? You know, is it because shitty space coffee doesn't have any sulfur in it? <laughs> and all he would say is that he must think it makes it taste better. And that's all he said, <laughs> which I thought he was just being cheeky because James S.A. Corey likes to be cheeky. Um, but you thought that maybe it's something that they will explain later and he didn't want to spoil it, which I think makes sense. I do, yeah. But my theory right now is, I mean, later, no spoilers, but later uh, Holden finally gets some good coffee and he makes a big deal of it. Holden loves his coffee. <laughs> and um, him and Janeway, I'm telling you, they got to open a coffee roasting business. But That'd anyway, uh, <laughs> start making some Ractagino. But uh, uh he loves his coffee and he, and he, when he finally gets a good cup of coffee, he, he makes a big deal of it. So right now in the Canterbury, he's drinking this shitty space coffee. That's not even really coffee. It's some kind of, a lot of the stuff they're eating, like they make beer with like fungus, mm-hmm. um, instead of barley and hops and, and stuff. So, so all the stuff is like these weird kind of facsimiles of, of what you would get on earth. Right. And, and so, you know, he says something like, Oh, this is the first good cup of coffee I've had in however long. So my theory is that whatever they're using for coffee that isn't coffee actually doesn't have sulfur in it. Mm-hmm. And that he has figured out that by adding some sulfur from the match heads, it tastes a little bit more like real coffee, a little bit less shitty. <laughs> so that's my theory. I'm probably thinking about it way too much. Maybe more than no. I no. I'm not going to say that. I I think it's there for a reason. I think there's a reason yeah. he's using a match head and he's not using something else. Yep, exactly. There has to be a reason. Yeah, because everything else in that show has a reason. Like every scene. Yeah. I feel like so. I I think we'll learn yeah. what that's all about later. Yeah, you know, in in writing they talk about your writing doing heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. which is to say, you know, when you write, you want it to be very concise. You don't want to just throw a bunch of words on the page like your J.R.R. Tolkien or something. You want to like get to the point in as few words as possible and choose your words very carefully. Okay. See what I did there. I'm going to get hate mail. Um, but yeah, don't bring him into this. <laughs> <laughs> but they talk about how, you know, whether it's a line of dialogue or it's a scene, like everything you want it to do heavy lifting, which is to say you want to do multiple things at the same time. You want to establish setting. You want to establish character. You want to advance the plot all at the same time with one little snippet of dialogue or whatever. And they're totally doing that with this show. Like every thing is doing multiple things at once. And, mm-hmm. and it's so subtle. Like uh, I was talking to you about how there's this moment. I think it's when uh, Holden... I, I could be wrong about exactly when it happens, but I think it's when Holden is choosing the people to go on the night to go check out the Scopuli. And there's this moment where Amos like glances at Naomi, like just this kind of glance, like where do we stand on this kind of thing? And she kind of gives him a nod or whatever. And it was just like, 
it, it wasn't like, I don't think the camera was even focused. Like it was in the background, you know, it wasn't like they didn't shine a big light on it, but it kind of showed how he kind of follows her lead and he looks up to her and, and all that and just stuff like that just everywhere. Yeah, for sure. So before we wrap this bitch up with a nice, shiny, tidy bow, we'd love to hear from you. What did you think of the first episode if you watched it? If you didn't watch it, hopefully you're not listening to me right now because you didn't want to be spoiled and you turned us off like an hour ago. What'd you think? Shoot us an email, expansepodcast at gmail.com. We're both on Google+. Plus. I'm Lex Starwalker. I'm Nikki Starwalker. And we're both on Twitter. I'm at Lex Starwalker. And I'm at Nikki Starwalker. So we'd love to hear from you. Uh, expansepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought of the first episode of the TV show. Let us know what, what was your favorite moment. What blew you away? Are you on the flip and burn team like me and Nikki? You think that was the highlight or what was it for you? So that's going to wrap it up for us for episode seven. Uh, next week, we'll be back to talking about the cast and characters until uh, December 15th when we can see the second episode, which we're very excited to see now. Sweet. Seems like an eternity that we have to wait. <laughs> but we'll just keep watching episode one over and over and over again. <laughs> oh, if our listener only knew the truth in that statement. Yeah. I am not joking. So until next week, fair listener, conserve your oxygen and your water. Resources are precious in the outer solar system. So long, and thanks for all the fish. Fish.